0: it's Raghu and I am back this week with my oldest and bestest, David Silver is back with me. Dave, how are you doing?
1: I'm great, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be back on the um, rolling rolling in the deep. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> and by the way,
0: there there is, um, I get a lot of mail and Everyone's always asking about you. So, uh, just to fill everybody in a little bit, aside from, you know, David has been working on a book, but I distracted him from his book because we gave him a major uh, documentary project for Love Server Member Foundation on uh, a very, very important figure in our lives, a mentor for us when we were in India with Neem Karoli Baba, with Maharaji. And his name is KC Tiwari, who is a. a an incredible yogi um that was disguise therein the name of the movie brilliant disguise so yeah david is right. assiduously working on it he's been working on it this year it's going to take uh i don't know a little bit more but we hope to see the you know see the light of day towards the end of next year uh, being that would be 18 and this is also our uh, happy new year everybody podcast
1: yeah um it's uh, 2018 which is I like um, you know this shows how simple-minded a human being can be I prefer even numbers to odd numbers when it comes to years I don't know why <laughs> uh, but so I look forward to the 14 16 18s so it's 2018, and uh, it's going to be a good year. I'm saying like a Pollyannic idiot, but <laughs> it's all good, you know, um, in, in, a, in the sense that our individual lives and consciousness are still intact. Mm. And um, no matter what is going on in the, uh, on that low level of administrative politics, Um, I think we've all learned now that we can withstand it without too much hatred, anger, and basic ugliness. And so, uh, Happy New Year. (laughs) On that note, Happy (laughs) New Year, everybody. Uh, um,
0: At the same time, uh, just want to tell people, uh, we're going to talk about a few different things here, and hopefully some of them are going to be constructive uh, for ourselves, for David and I, and for everybody else who's listening to the to the podcast, uh, in terms of some of the things we can do to help us along, in uh, not to diminish these very difficult times, and David is certainly not diminishing them. But this is the most positive outlook I've heard from him in about uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> in a year, at least. And so, so hopefully we'll, we'll we'll be able to make a little bit of a contribution. We shall see. Uh, but one other contribution, um, and I'm, this is a bit of a, we wouldn't call it a commercial, but it's certainly uh, an offering that we're making through Love Server Member Foundation, Ramdas.org, which you all know uh, I am uh, part of, and uh, it's called Transforming Difficult Emotions. So th- this is very apropos for our times, and it's uh, taking. Uh, Many of essential Ram Dass talks, uh, mostly pre-stroke, um, that uh, really address this subject in a way that I think is going to be extraordinary, extraordinarily helpful. And uh, there's also from some wonderful meditations from him in, in um, more recent, in the last few years that uh, we've pulled. And there'll be uh, weekly Q&As with me and other teachers, Mirabai Bush and Lama Surya Das, and like that. So uh, that's happening at the end of January. Please sign up. If you're not on ramdas.org, email this, please do get on it. And then there'll be a, an email sent out to everybody. It'll be on the site uh, coming up uh, after uh, early January, probably. So I do wanted it to, to let everybody know to take that. Yeah, opportunity. I, I
1: wanted to, wanted to add to that Raga that uh, I get the emails got one today, actually words of wisdom. And, um, you know, usually I'm oblivious to this sort of stuff, and I don't know why, really. Kind of a little blasé about little things that come through in the mail. This is very different. And I can't think of one of them that I've received in the last few years that hasn't had a, a quick pinprick of, of you know, a, a, a quick renegotiation with reality, shall we
0: say. Oh, I love that. Uh, renegotiation yeah. <laughs> with reality.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, whereby I read it, and he says something. And I know um, you and Rachel choose them, and and they're just so apropos somehow to, to the times you live in, and also they really just spark you into a kind of, oh yeah, that's true, that's true fear, you know. I have fear, and where where do I put fear? And there's always something very deep and quick, which is useful in our busy lives. You know, that something so um, something so changing that just changes you very fast mm. uh, and, and not in a superficial way that you forget it 10 minutes later. I don't, mm. um, I, it, it resounds with me. And um, I, I encourage you to, uh, to receive that new, newsletter. really. Yeah. Uh, and it sets up
0: your day. It can potentially sets up your day. So you have it in the back of your mind as you go through uh, the routines that uh, we all go through on a day-to-day basis and the roles that we inhabit too. Uh, so, one, one of the things that, uh, for those of you who don't know, and I don't think there's a lot because we have a lot of loyal listeners that have been listening uh, since the beginning of uh, Mind Rolling, uh, but uh, David and I used to do um, little recommendations of things that we really loved and it's just, with, just share with people, turn them on. And uh, so uh, I found something. That is apropos also because it's um, it fits with what we're going to be talking about today, and uh, so I wanted to just uh, I'm just going to play a little bit of this and uh, not the whole song because we're not allowed to, Dave, but we're going to take this right. shot because it, it's and I'll tell you about the band afterwards. It, it, it's. Uh, Here it is. It's a song called Pain. There we go. That's called Pain and the band is The War on Drugs. Do we love that n- name? Um, kind of amazing. Uh Yeah, I I found this some time ago, Dave, and I know you know the band too. And uh Yeah. They're uh, they're obviously in the pocket with uh, Petty, Springsteen, Dylan-esque and and so uh, that really it it appeals but it, he's got some original stuff there as well and i particularly like his words and why i said that it 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 a little bit uh, rings with some of the things we're going to be talking about uh, in the course i resist what i cannot change i want to find what can't be found especially the part about resist what i cannot change uh, I, uh, this is uh, and, and we'll get more into that a little later, but I think before we, we go in that direction where we hopefully will come up with some stuff that makes sense for people, I found this article that I shared with uh, David. And uh, it's, it's it was in the New York Times by a man named Ben Dolnick. It's called Donald Trump, Accidental Buddhist. I just thought it was the most riotously funny uh, article. But it did have a semblance of uh, something real uh, that it brought up. and um, So basically it's about Trump talking about himself in the third person, right? Uh, How he he does that. Uh, You know, when Paul Manafort was indicted, he said there's not even a mention of Trump in there uh, on the possibility of Russian interference in the election. Perhaps Trump just ran a great campaign. So uh, this is uh, you know pretty interesting how he how he gets this third person referral. So yeah, so I'm using that third person. Uh, it, it just uh, it it brought up a thing for this guy around Buddhism and the core of Buddhism, of course, is around non-self. And, uh, he even started, Ben started to try, try using this methodology where you, you get outside yourself and you're, you're talking in the third person and it's all objective. Ben is feeling tired. Ben is considering blowing off the gym. Ben is feeling regret about eating that entire baguette while walking home from the grocery store. Uh, so, uh, he, he goes on, uh, The teaching, uh, Buddhists insist, has a potential to eliminate your suffering entirely. Uh, It turns out that what we refer to when we refer to ourselves in the third person, is the very thing Buddhists believe causes much trouble. When I say, Ben can't stand the taste of turnips, I am forcing myself at grammatical gunpoint to inhabit a perspective outside my usual one. From this new vantage point, my feelings about turnips, not to mention the very thing I'm used to thinking of as myself, appear as objects separate from the one doing the speaking, which means that I, just by shifting into the speech patterns of a narcissistic lunatic, (laughs) have stationed (laughs) myself out in the hard-to-describe spaciousness where Buddhists say we'd do well to set up shop. I mean, what a correlation (laughs) that he came up with yeah all of which is to say referring to yourself in the third person if you do it thoughtfully and probably silently need not be a step on the path towards celebrity rehab it can instead be uh, be a means of finally realizing a life-altering truth you are not your thoughts and you are not your feeling now that my inner narrator has alternatives to i think and i feel these seem not like self-help platitudes but observable facts Does that mean that Donald Trump, when he goes on about Donald Trump, is demonstrating his enlightenment? That when he refers to himself in the third person, he's expressing not a personality disorder, but an intuitive grasp of the subtlest Buddhist teachings. And then the last sentence is the killer. Ben highly doubts it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Well, it's it's an amazing extrapolation. You couldn't imagine a more... um, you know, counterintuitive one. But, you know, I mean, he makes something of it. It's his way, I think, of um, dealing with this 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 person um, uh, in a way that is at least temporarily um, kind. Uh, benign. We, <laughs> benign, yeah. Though we know from a year's now experience, or actually two and a half years, my God, it's the middle of 2015, we, we know what's going on there to some extent. Uh, but it is interesting that he, he says, you know, these are not my thoughts. These are not my feelings. And that is pretty much a central aspect of at least, um, you know, basic Buddhism, I think. Very helpful because uh, I think, you know, I found that uh, constantly identifying with those things that come up in meditation, uh, you know, in a very obnoxious manner, and, and 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 you know it's hard to follow your bliss when these thoughts are coming in. But as you progress, you realize that they aren't indeed who you are. Uh, there are things that come from what psychologists, for a long time, have called modules. Hmm. Modules uh, the different modules have insistence at different times in your in your heart or via the brain. And some of these modules become very insistent to the extent that you start thinking about them all the time. It's like having a song on your mind. You can't get rid of it. And it really helps in, in mindfulness meditation, in my opinion, uh, to have a dynamic or an approach to the dynamic of the intrusion of these things, an approach, which allows you to not fight them, not resist them, but to recognize them. Mm. And then, from there have no have no or, or reduce anxiety about their you know this is what i'm about i'm such a terrible person i constantly am thinking about whether you know i can i can um, get a new flat screen or whether i do have to talk to my sister or, or whatever you know these things that come into your head and this this funny article in the times uh helped me uh, help would help you if you read it too see not so much about donald trump because well he's not an enigma we we got it you know uh, the word malignant narcissist seems to fit that uh, that which he is but it does you know bring to mind the question of our very constipated idea of ourselves: that we are this piece of meat that we are this meat with a brain and that all the things that we uh think and feel are intrinsically who we are as opposed to anybody else and that we're not connected with anybody else and the, the continuum of, of oneness is interrupted by these things but not destroyed by them. um and and you know that's a question of steady i think of steady work because in my current feeling you know all the things we learned with psychedelics and, and initially with any kind of spiritual path was the quick realization of certain realities, of mm. certain truths. But it takes a lifetime to um, to absorb them to the point where they actually influence your behavior and your uh, metta or loving kindness approach to all the other human beings that you encounter. And um, steadiness, um, I know that Krishna Das has talked about this in his workshops. I was actually at a workshop when he talked about this. The steady practice is the thing that will help us Uh, overcome fear and um, all the vicissitudes of self-doubt and lack of self-worth. And that's a paradox too, because we're not actually talking about self-worth. Oh, I am great because I wrote that song. I am great because I built that house. But self-worth as the big S self, what uh, Emerson called the oversoul, the oversoul, Hmm. the worth of it. The richness of it, the fullness of it, and that gets us back into the contradiction between fullness and emptiness, which I don't know whether you want to start talking about yet. But.
0: Yeah, well, I'd like to get there, but uh, I think you you ran through something which uh, talking about one of the things that psychedelics does, you get these very very quick realizations the connectivity of everything is one major one, where you are not this isolated little I in the middle of of this magma of humanity, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, And and referring back to the article, uh, the idea basically is that we all think of ourselves as an entity who our well-being occupies every waking thought, okay? If we... And we have, and you have that realize, realization, not just with a psychedelic, but also starting to do when you realize there is a path, and you want to get happy, and you can get happy perhaps through the, through a path, a spiritual path, that uh, this self-referential moment-to-moment stuff is killer, and you know, and it just absolutely, it can be depressing, and. So you come up with that presence that that uh, w- the Buddhists have the most wonderful expression that I love to use. It's called self-cherishing, right? The amount, and we've talked about this before uh, on many of our podcasts, but that self-cherishing, if you can insert that the illusion of that self-cherishing, that is uh, one of those Uh, quick things through, uh, realizations through a psychedelic, through a meditation, through a piece of music, through God, walk in nature, where suddenly you realize you're not thinking and cherishing that self by, with all of the thoughts of what am I going to do, what happened to me, what am I going to do in the future, you know, all of that. Um, And so then you start, uh, Buddhism is a great, um, it's a great tradition because it definitely has a way for one to get a new vantage point around just this kind of stuff that we're talking about and when they talk about no self they're not talking about uh or and i know you're going to talk a little bit about emptiness it's not nihilistic emptiness it's not you walk around like you're a blank slate like uh being there right <laughs> peter sellers right. and being there Right, he was a blank slate, and everybody loved him because he was just yes, this is all true <laughs> to everybody who said anything. It's not that. It's mm-hmm. it's you are you have stopped self cherishing, and I think that that is something I've always wanted to codify a little bit on these podcasts. So yeah, now definitely talk about. Uh, I think it's uh, it, it came from a a book that you've been reading a little bit about non-self yeah, and I, yeah
1: I, you know the the question the question of okay you know do you you, you just went into it a little bit it, it's it's not an emptiness which is meaningless or devoid of essence it's all essence so um it, it, in it, it, there, there have been some sort of dialectics in the last 50 years, which have been seemingly opposing. Uh, one is the ability to, to absorb the oneness and get out of your self-cherishing and your constant worrying about whether you're doing the right thing or whether you're enjoying the right enjoyments, or all of that. You've got that on the one hand, and then you've got the question of self-worth and empowerment on the other. Mm. And particularly for people who've been treated badly, which is 51% of the population, at least, women, and um other people who've had difficulties forever i mean you know since time started about being treated badly and being treated as if they're reduced uh and and um excoriated even and abused and even abused by neglect all of these things so it seems to me that there's sort of stages of this that obviously if you've, you've been abused as a child or, or you've been sexually harassed or harassed in some other ways, uh, it, it's important to, you know, to, to move beyond that via various techniques that can involve therapy, it can involve um, many different ways of finding uh, your own strength and equal self-worth. But I think that's the point, that um, the equality of self-worth, i.e. empowerment, it's just that it's it's equality it's not superiority or my self-worth is better than your self-worth or i'm going to use my self-worth to prove to you how powerful i am Mm. and stop you being abusive of me um if you couple that with the idea that interconnectivity and there is no difference between the background and the foreground in your perceptions that in other words uh you know Somebody said, well, you know, a tape measure is a tape measure. If it belonged to a plumber and you find it, you might use it. If it belonged to John F. Kennedy, it's worth $42,000. And what does that mean? Well, it means that our perception of it is more important than the actual it. Mm -hmm. And this is distorting because, I mean, some shake just bought a, a Da Vinci for $460 million. What and you know four hundred and
0: sixty uh, million?
1: Yeah, half half a billion dollars just last week at auction at Christie's, I guess. Wow! And he bought it, and he could afford it, obviously. And you think, well, it's a nice painting, but the question is, is there any worth that's worth discussing uh, in in a perception that Ramdas has, has, has articulated better than anyone else, in my opinion? Well along with Ramana Maharshi and other great <laughs> saints, saints and citizens, mm. teachers and wise men and women. But Ramdas's uh, words on this have been a, a real game changer for me for half a century, which is, you know, the famous story about loving the rug, loving the dirty rug on the floor, the piece of rug, just as much as loving, um, you know, your partner or, you um, you know, uh, I don't know, Adele or a, a really nice smelling rose or a terrific spaghetti. Uh, Ramdas made the point that if we really want to love, we are in fact loving that emptiness in the sense that the essence of it is not our own self cherishing, as you put it, Raga, right, but is um, a universal truth that cannot be compromised. In other words, you can't say, well, you know, I don't like crocodiles because they're kind of scaly and ugly and they ate my child.
2: Well, well, that's
0: a good reason to come on
1: <laughs> you might have a bit of dislike for the crocodile but the crocodile doesn't know he's eating your child because you know she's jewish or something no <laughs> crocodile's hungry <laughs> crocodile's hungry and i noticed with my crocodile who is a calico cat calicos are particularly moody that even when she gives me a little bite uh she's not doing it you know sort of in a Republican way. <laughs> How about that for you no know, self-care? Uh, she's doing it because she's a cat and occasionally uh, cats instinctively uh, wanna do that. And that gets back to a much deeper thought, which is the one of natural selection, that everything we do is based on the propagation of the species based on, you know, uh, what half a million years of, of growth of a species. And, you know, we either wanna look nice so we can attack, uh, you know, attract a mate, so we can have fornicate and have children, or we want to be fit so we can fornicate for longer than eight seconds, and this is all <laughs> natural selection. It is. It's. It's what we've perfected as a species, just like, you know, the chameleon perfected how to look like a tree when a, a, another predator was coming after. Him. This is all survival. By the way, but with you know, uh, I, I don't. I'm, ra- I'm rambling on here. But no, the, no, it, it I sounds, have to. Sounds a little weird, but yeah. no, no, I,
0: I, I get it. You know what? I, I don't get, and I didn't never have gotten this from Ramdas. This rug. I love this dirty, soiled rug. So it's a whole <laughs> story where he, you know, Ramdas is in a, in a beautiful place of just being love and just relating that way with all, with humans, with inanimate, animate objects, nature, whatever. He's in that place. So he was trying to uh, make a point about that. And somebody, uh, said, I love this rug. It was in a restaurant or something. You know, it was dirty. And the person said, "Are you trying to tell me that you love this rug as much as it was Mickey Lemley who who uh, yeah. who did yeah. uh, Fierce Grace in the movie? Are you trying to tell me that you love this rug as much as I?" And Ramdas said yeah and so Mickey went and found a a piece of dirty rug and sent it to him and Ramdas framed it and put it on his wall uh but uh i've no i've it's too much okay there's no way that Ramdas loves that dirty rug okay more than uh Mickey Lemley. There's no way on the, or as much as Mickey Lemley, not more than Mickey Lemley. And I'll, I'll, um, I'll counter him on that. But yes, no, I, I understand. Well, you
1: know, it's, it's some form of symbolic analogizing. Yeah, it's, yes, it's, it's, yes, it, yes. It, it works in in the sense that it makes you more conscious of the world around you that is you. Tree. Just, it you could know. be a
0: tree. A tree would be okay. I'd be good a with tree. a tree. Not a dirty rug.
1: Well, uh, he took it to the limit, you know. I mean, it, it's <laughs> sort of like the classic, you know, sort of—and wrong, but a classic sort of perception of someone who's tripping. You know that they can just sort of, you know, look at the oh, side yeah, of their yeah. side of their glasses and go, yeah. <laughs> "Oh, hey, man, this is look at this tortoise shell. Look at that little brown bee. Wow, Whoa. you know." And <laughs> we all did it. I did it, yeah, and still true. do it. And <laughs> and you know, sometimes it does mean that just looking at something essentially trivial and seeing it's really what it is is you and it together living at the same time the pen the um the hard drive the pair of glasses whatever um that you are there together and um uniquely so in that second Mm. whatever and that um if you actually do become incredibly dividing and discriminating about what you do and do not um, absorb or appreciate, it brings about divisiveness, which again brings about self-cherishing. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And there is the beginning of, of, of the First World War, the Second World War, the 92,000 wars that have gone on in our, in our lifetime. You know, it starts with, with that, with not being willing to go outside your normal condition, um, model, if you like, I mean, it's really easy to leave to love music, you know, um, and it's also really easy to hate music. Um, I always hated the carpenters. <laughs> now, some of you listening will not think I'm talking about, you know, guys who do uh woodwork. But there was a band called The Carpenters in the, in the 60s, Carpenters. which was there, you know, along with The Beatles and The Stones and Dylan and Buffalo Springfield and Neil Young and all the geniuses. There was this band called The Carpenters. And every time they came on television, I would have to avoid, you know, throwing up. And I really hated them. And uh, I just did. And Karen Carpenter died, unfortunately, from some anorexic disease, yeah. I believe. Yeah. And what I think the dirty rug for me was there are people who got a lot from the carpenters. So without being too anodyne, I have changed to some extent that I still don't like the carpenters music. Uh, but I have to appreciate that I'm not alone in this world. Mm. And that there are people who got as much from their music for whatever reason, karmic development, the shape of their experience, the shape of their conditioning as I did out of, of blonde on blonde or, or a revolver or, or, or you know, Harvest. You know, I thought those bands were supreme and everything else stank. you know.
0: Okay, we uh, can't I very... compare. Okay, I'm see, here's where I go back to the, to the rug, comparing okay. the dirty rug and, and Mickey. I'm being the uh, devil's advocate a little bit here. Of course, I totally, absolutely agree with you and understand what you're saying, but when you, when you mix up the Carpenters versus Neil Young and Stones, or, uh, you know, come on. I don't care who likes the carpenters, okay? That's just wrong view as far as I'm concerned.
1: <laughs> well, it's the same with Trump, isn't it? I mean, who could like this bloody moron? Who could like this repellent being? Who could ever, ever believe him? And, you know, the, the more we get into this, the more we realize that there are people who adore him.
0: Mm-hmm. You're right. Adore him. You're right.
1: And if you actually talk to them... Um, what they can't believe is that you would have any liking for Bernie Sanders. You know, that horrible old communist, you know, hypocrite, they would call him, or a fucktard is, it? I think, the current, or libtard These are current words that are out now. And <laughs> then you see that hatred coming back at you for loving Bernie or someone. Mm. And you realize, oh, my God, uh, this divisiveness is, is, is not loving the rug, is it? Yeah. I mean... Yeah. It's a hard one. This it's a tough one. Yeah. because you know, do do you know anyone who loves Trump? Per- personally, yeah. No. How could I? I'm
0: I'm in that. You know, I'm well. I'm Canadian, and you're British. How could we?
1: No, we. we <laughs> you know, I, I, no, I know one person who does, uh-huh. um, and um, he's a nice guy. But since he told me that he did, I my, my you know then I had a hard time being. Uh, uh, one with him, friendly. Yeah, yeah so, it was so hard. It's back, to was it. Yeah. back to the rug,
0: then. Yeah, back to the rug. Yeah, no, it's a great analogy. Now that I think about it, it's, it really is. But isn't this a lot about you? You know what you said here. I love this renegotiation with reality. Constant. Yeah, Day It's constant. constant. Yeah, and that negotiation. Uh, with is, is, uh, has to do with interior um, inquiry in my mind, so that through meditation, yes. through practices, whatever. And that interior uh, inquiry looks at the vast amount of projections mm. that we have no idea that they are, I would say, for the most part, false projections, you know, in the case about mm. you want to talk about people who love Trump or who appreciate what he's done uh, uh, revolutionizing politics and uh, not following the status quo and everything else they love about him. The the amount of uh, the way in which we project onto the individual, like this individual that you, you do know who who is into him, and then it became hard for you to have any any real relationship with that person because of the the divide was so wide. But um, he, as His Holiness the Dalai Lama says, doesn't everybody want to just be happy? (laughs) Doesn't everybody want to have love in their life? Feel good, feel secure, feel safe? Absolutely. But what we're doing is projecting all of the things that he represents to us onto that person and we have no chance. And and I'm I'm prime. I do this I mean I am so um I I see what I do and I, I even can't uh stop it. I can't stop the projections. I I see them clearly. I've gotten to a place where I in in my life, maybe through all of <laughs> just getting older and wiser and hopefully, through some of the practices that I have done over the over the decades, that I can see them very clearly,
1: and it's really it causes suffering. It really does. Uh, yeah, because I mean, apart from just the suffering, immediate suffering, because you are who you are, and you've you've I've been absorbing, for instance, Buddhist lore, Buddhist teachings, for so long, uh, you can't help but think. Well, do I carry these things into the next incarnation? Yeah. You know, because they, they, they sort of imply that what you don't solve in one life will definitely come back. And and even though one can argue about, you know, really honestly that without much actual knowledge, unless you're, you know, um, Miller repo or someone, um <laughs> you know it it doesn't even you don't even have to go to the next life you go to this this life and see that those projections that you speak of which you honestly speak of which we all seem to have affect this life tremendously mm. with you know you know that you don't like something so when it comes up immediately you get you know stirred up about it and, and and the rug, the, the dirty rug, goes into the garbage immediately. You don't look at that rug and go, it's part yeah. of God's plan.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, you know, that. It, it's sort of like when people from the South, particularly evangelicals that I've met, you know, will always say things like, well, we, we, we don't approve of homosexuals at all, but bless their hearts. And I feel like punching them in the face when they say that. It's like, well, why the fuck don't you tell the truth? You don't like them. You don't think you think it's an abomination. Those are the, those, that's the word that people use when they talk about, uh, you know, same-sex marriage and such things. And it, in my opinion, it doesn't so much, it does affect gays, obviously, who are made to feel uncomfortable and have difficult lives and can't visit their partners in the hospital, for God's sake, because they're not, quote, family." all this rubbish. Uh, but it, it also influences the person who is making that statement. Um, how much division and how little oneness there is when a person that supposedly follows Jesus Christ. I watched King of Kings yesterday. I tend to watch King of Kings every Christmas. <laughs> no, get out. I do. I don't watch it all. It's twelve hours long or something. But I watch the part where you know Herod is screaming at. Wait, at, what at, is King of Kings? Because uh, you know I've it's heard the story of, of Jesus when when it's the version of Jeffrey Hunter when he plays Christ. It was made what in the fifties, I think. Oh, really? And it's a huge, long epic and it's beautifully done. Um, but uh, you know, what you see, what, what comes out is that Christ said, you know, uh, I, I don't even, I don't even um, blame or, or say bad things about the people that are putting me on the cross, the Roman soldiers. Um, and my philosophy is forgiveness and and uh, meta yoga, you know, uh, the the propagation of, of universal kindness, and then you see that the evangelical Christian or the the um, fundamentalist Muslim or even um, people in the dancehall reggae religion who hate homosexuals, and you wonder, well, wait a minute, how can you put this together? How do you put this together that your guy, the great yogi Jesus, said, be kind, forgive, forgive them for they don't know what they do. And yet you will not bake a cake for a gay couple. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here is what I say to them. And i they're not the rug to me. I rather, you know, lie down with a dirty rug than lie down with people who say they follow Jesus and yet can't absorb different modalities of human interaction
0: well they are the dirty rug they do they are that dirty rug that we want to just throw out or dismiss in my case dismiss how could you you can't love that the way you love your friend come on you know so that's uh uh, that is part of the gigantic polarization and (laughs) how far we are from being able to integrate uh the reality of interconnectedness
1: but surely, you know, I mean, Raga. I remember being in that great market in Delhi, the famous one, the name I've forgotten. Um, you know it. It begins with a K. I oh,
0: think. Khan market.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I went there to buy a bag or something. And there were like 900,000 people there. And I was wandering around like some ridiculous Englishman, you know, lost. <laughs> and, and this gentleman, a Sikh, came up to me and said, are you okay? And I said, "Well, I'm lost. I I I don't know where I came in. I don't know where to leave. I, you know." And he said, "Oh, come and have a cup of tea with us." And I went to the stall, and they sold bags there, and there were five Sikh men in there, and they made me a cup of English breakfast tea, Twinings, hmm. and said, "You know where you're from, and all this." And and we spent a forty-five minute forty-five minutes exchanging um, information about what we believed, you know. And they didn't want to talk to me about that. They were just wanting to be kind. You know, they saw a lost little soul walking around and thought, oh, this poor Englishman or German or Swede or whatever the heck he is. We're going to help him. They didn't. They saw the dirty rug and the dirty Englishman. And, um, you know, (laughs) I think (laughs) I, I mean, I just remember this because they were so incredibly hospitable instantaneously to someone they did not know. And, you know, I'm not saying that doesn't happen in, in, in um, you know, Charlottesville or or Monterey or, you know, Indianapolis, it does. But I remember this incident because I was lost and I was a little bit freaked out. It was 101 degrees, you know, and I was freaking out and, and not visibly, but they could feel it. And they just came over to help me. And, um, you know, that is part of the rug, I think. Uh, the idea of going out of your way to show that you feel the same way about that person you're looking at as, as, as best you can. You, you are with one with that person. You feel their pain. Mm.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. Now, of course you have to remember, it is embedded in Indian culture. The guest is God. They have that. We don't quite have that. And uh, although it happens all the time, just out of natural heartfulness on, on, on behalf of many people who you you see it in the news, or you read it in the papers. Happens all the time. I think that there's, um, in terms of us talking about how how lost in projections we are, and that affects us so deeply, and causes the the kind of situation of you know, the deep polarization within ourselves and and outside of ourselves, mm-hmm. and the uh, the fact is that this polarization and this propensity for projecting onto everything people and objects and you know Ramdas tells that great so you go into, you, you go into the forest do you do you judge one tree over another of course not but but even that we do oh beautiful oh yeah ignore that so that happens all the time and i think the one uh concept that we haven't discussed here that I think is extraordinarily important and that's karma and the the way that uh, our experience of the world is formed by past karma, not just from how we grew up and our parents and the culture that society that we we're in, uh, but of course one has uh, I'm a, this is an assumption that, uh, that everyone has a definitive connectivity to the fact that there is rebirth. There is a continuity, and of course we, uh, there there is many, many, many different versions of what is that continuity, what does that rese- uh, uh, represent, a soul, Buddha mind, uh, a spirit, whatever. We don't know that. We can just call it the mystery. But certainly... Deep from our past, we are shaped by karma and w- we can discuss what, what karma is and it's a very uh, complex and, and can be mm-hmm. subtle. It's not just uh, action-reaction, although that is part of it. Uh, and, and the, uh, but the thing that's to me most interesting is that every day, we constantly create new karma. And that's mm, yeah. and that is in many ways it's an opportunity. Right? And and that lies within how you react to stuff, for instance, right? Um, the thing that everybody can of course recognize is, is driving in a car and you get cut off. What's your instant reaction is epithets. You mother, mother you know And some Mm. people even take out a gun and shoot you, Mm. I mean, to that extreme. So your reaction, you create karma that will color your future by virtue of how you react to events, uh, moment to moment to moment, all the way to thoughts, positive or negative, actions, positive or negative thoughts. Mm. I mean, it gets down to a really subtle level that... Just you don't, uh, you don't turn your, you don't roll down your window and yell at the person who cut you off. Mm. You don't do anything, you don't look or anything, but in your mind, you're going, You goddamn, you're doing that. Mm. That is creating karma, just that. Mm. So it's like, how do we pay attention to each moment and, and, and understand the, the, the reality of what we are cr- creating and shaping our experience and shaping what possibly not only um, can affect the projections that we constantly are, are forming about people, events, moments, but for the future. I mean, it's an opportunity that uh, we all are not that... Our awareness
1: level is really low um, so, well, I mean, that's where the excuse me, I, you were no, go ahead, finish. Well, the, the intrusion of a teacher or of a, a great, a great, a great wise person, at least, but sometimes, of a, as you experienced uh, with um, Maharaji and Anandamayima and Sidema, Um and obviously, there are others that pe- other people are drawn to for karmic reasons. Ramana Maharshi, Ramakrishna—the um, intrusion of them in there in your life is one of the great redemptive ways of dealing with karma, because they interrupt your continuum of of comfort, which is hating people you hate, hating music you hate, hating food you hate, loving movies you love, loving people who are light, nice to you, and love you. Oh, I love him because he loves me. I mean, I, I really had, I, I mean, I've repeated this many times, but I had this great sort of friendship with Richard Nixon. when I say this, I can't believe I'm saying it, you know, but we, we got along when I interviewed him. And then years later, when I saw him again, and it was a teaching to me because he was one of the most hated people on the planet. No question about it. He was in oh. the top five. He was at the billboard top of the charts of hateable people. And. When I encountered him personally, my friends in Cambridge, where I lived at the time, were all, you know, uh, activists and against the war in Vietnam. And I was criticized heavily by my close friends saying, why did you meet with this guy? And why did you interview him? All of this. And um, what I found when I was with him, that underneath all that criminality and, and, and sort of force and, and American hegemonic impulses uh was a quiet and rather kindly person (laughs) i was fortunate enough to actually encounter that part Mm. of him yeah and um i knew nothing i was 23 my father hated nixon more than i can say so i was indoctrinated against him uh if if i'd have come into contact with great gurus at that time I think I would have been more comfortable with that situation with my friends, to be able to smile at my friends and say, you know, you can say what you want, but I actually encountered a human being just like you who made some very bad decisions and had some lousy karma. I mean, karma that made him lie to the Watergate Committee, made him bomb Cambodia for no reason. Um, the war was with Vietnam, not Cambodia. And that war was pretty obnoxious, as we know. Um you can forgive that person. Can you be friendly with that person? Rather doubt it. I don't think I could be friendly with Mike Pence. I just don't see it. So we go back to the projection again. But the my my actually just saying that I couldn't be friendly with Mike Pence is not great karma. In other words, I'm injecting a negative judgment into something that I do not have a total overview of.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: I mean it was, you know, Rita, the Kirtan yeah, It was a birthday a couple of days ago. So I wrote to her on Facebook and said, you know, happy birthday. But I sent with it uh, a little article called Ramana Maharshi on birthdays.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And Ramana, and I remembered, it, I found it. I couldn't find the book it was in, but I found it on Google, you know, the Akashic records of the world. And he said, Why do we celebrate birthdays? What are we, crazy? These are death days. We've been injected back into this fleshly, ridiculous, illusory, karma-heavy world, which we would want to be out of. So why are you celebrating this birthday? Celebrate your death day, folks. Mm. And Ramana Maharshi was not, you know, some TV pundit. (laughs) Um, <laughs> it wasn't
0: Jimmy Swagger, no.
1: <laughs> oh, and I mean, he uh, wasn't saying, "Hey, your birthday," but he was just saying, "These are contradictions, like the dirty rug, which are not obvious until a, a, a major um, master tells you that, and then you have the choice of believing it or not." But if you do believe it, as I do, he's basically saying, "You know, you celebrate your birthday and." think it's so cool but you know isn't every day your birthday and is every day your death day and why are you celebrating this big day well because we're humans and we live in america and we send presents and we you know we like getting a book in the mail and we like someone saying happy birthday dave it's great that you're alive so there's two sides to it but i guess what i'm trying to say is that the teachings that come from the masters are essential to our growth because we don't think them on our own we seem incapable. We're projecting all the time. Yeah. And um, therefore I'm very constantly grateful. I, I'm making this film with you about Casey Tiwari, she's uh, great devotee, great yogi, uh, because I'm working on it all the time. I, I'm constantly reminded about the existence of a person like him.
2: Mm.
1: I'm a very lucky guy. I could be working on a film about helicopters. I did, in fact, make a film about helicopters (laughs) um, at one point. But now I'm making a film about him. And the constant reminder of his kindness and his depth and his devotion and his complete and absolute sort of relegation of comfort zone life into something else. Yes, he liked to be happy just like everybody. But, I mean, Casey Tiwari, who many of you don't know, I'm sure, but maybe hopefully will after the film is done, was a man that just wanted to help people and help himself and be um, be the most devoted being uh, of his guru Nim Bhav. so you know i'm learning from him if he weren't in my life i think my karma like many others you know i think my karma would be diminished or not diminished uh, my understanding would be diminished mm. like- of the constant presence of the possibility of either growing or stick sticking with two feet in the concrete until it until it calcifies and you calcify. Yeah,
0: let me you tell know. you because uh, you're reminding me of a of a, a great story actually. In terms, so this uh, Casey Tuari was uh, a very highly, as David said, a yogi and a highly advanced being. He had spiritual powers, all of it. He he uh, was left by Maharaji to be our mentor the day that Maharaji left the ashram and said, I'm gone. And he dropped his blanket and he went off and died. Uh, So he left Tuari and that's why Tuari has meant so much to us because he understood also the um, psychology of Western mind. He was incredible. So, and he was not at all living in polarization. That was just one of the most exceptional uh, experiences that I have to to be with someone on a day-to-day basis like that. So one day we were up high in the Himalayas and uh, he took me to a temple that he had put together for Hanuman, the monkey god. It's a beautiful enormous statue of hanuman so one day we're just walking by the uh, river which was just uh, you know a few hundred yards from the temple and just talking and someone comes running down and said oh uh, baba there's a uh, uh, a swami has come and he's sitting and you should come and greet him and and come come see him so w- he says okay fine and two of us walk up to to the temple where there there was a room where people could stay. On the way there, talk about projection, I immediately projected and said to him, or did I say it to him? Maybe I didn't, but I know it was in my mind. Oh, shit. He's going to see a Westerner, a young Westerner, uh, and I'm going to get Hindu Spirituality 101. I know it. Swamiji is going to give it to me, right? So sure enough, we went and sat with him, lovely Swami, and he went off pontificating about 10 billion times more than I had projected he would. (laughs) And I sat there, uh, you know, squirm the whole time. I look over at Tiwari. He's... Looking at this guy with adoration, like it's the first time he ever heard anybody expand, expound, rather, on on spiritual life according to the Hindu thing. And I, I tell you, so. And then we got up to go, and, and we were walking, just the two of us. We got, you know, as we left, I said, "Geez, you know." I, this guy did exactly what it was I was going to think. I had to sit there and listen to this. God, I just went off, right? And he he looked at me, and he just like, "Are you out of your mind?" In fact, you know what he used to do sometimes? He would he would put two his forefinger and thumb together and uh, uh, onto the your temple of your head, and he oh. he'd make a screwing in motion. I think you need to get your screw a little bit tighter there, my boy, <laughs> he'd say. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's it's the word. It's it's the words. It's everything is anew, fresh. Take it in in the moment. You know, and it was the most gigantic example of of this projection that had put me in a place where I couldn't hear one thing that this guy would say was saying even if he wasn't in the most heartful place which i'm sure that was part of it too even if that's true i was just immediately got into this absolute bullshit Mm. and and my god do we not do this on a day-to-day basis and and then just dave in, in terms of talking about karma too um how do you how do you stop that kind of cycle that we get into uh, where you're 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 just going on these karmic uh, shapes that experience you know, from your past that are shaping your experience now and how do you stop that cycle and because uh, it's endless right I mean it's an endless cycle of being entrapped by past karma and then creating more of it and uh, and our our most, beloved teacher, you and I, Chogyam Trumpa Rinpoche, how much did he talk about creating a gap? Mm. Gaining skillful means, which through practice, and creating a, gra- a, a gap that allow, ex- extricates yourself from the cycle. And and then, of course, allows the building of compassion and, and uh, inner ease and um, and connectivity with whatever is in front of you as Ramdas. is that the dirty rug story. We go back to that and back and back and back, and that is what he's doing now. He is interacting on that basis. He is not projecting anything. He's coming from the connectivity of love, the real love, not that bullshit word that we can't hardly even use. I mean, you could say unconditional love gives it a little bit better of 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 a twist. But, um, and, um, I have I, I just want to mention this because, oh boy, we've been going on here for a while, eh? Oh, really? But, yeah. But I do want to mention this one thing um that I'm, I'm hoping could be helpful. It's something I read uh, actually by um Trungrum Trang, Gyalwa Rinpoche, another incredible Rinpoche. They have so many.
1: So many of them. <laughs> it's like, where do they
0: get them all? I mean, you know, it's incredible. So... Just in terms of dealing with the most simplistic stuff. I mean, we talked about, you know, when you get cut off or, or somebody gets, he he talks about somebody gets a promotion that you thought you deserve, you get jealous, uh, or your desire systems are so strong you can't stop eating, you know, whatever's in front of you, sweets, this, that, and the other. Just simple things. Anger, impatience, shock, desire, frustration, all of the emotions, right? Which leads me back to recommending again, <laughs> Don't forget, Ramdas is this, is transforming disturbing emotions coming up at the end of January because it absolutely addresses this stuff and and would allow for us to stop that cycle, the karmic cycle. Um, but he recommends three things. It's it, it's like three moments. The first moment is everything with your senses: your eyes, ears, no, know, nose. You perceive the input. Okay so it's like a sound reaching your ear and you perceive it. it's instant- instantaneous it's effortless and then you've at least got the perception of the feeling right the feeling because it's so easy you hear you see you smell you touch you feel right so and then the second moment is that you recognize this and you take a pause so there's a in the recognition, there's a pause. So you don't chase that. It's like you walk past some garbage, right? And <laughs> Delhi, I mean, how many times you probably, well, you? I've walked past garbage in Delhi. Forget any garbage. You've never smelled anything like this. No, it's no. enough to kill you. It's unbelievable. I mean, you actually are weak. Re- so instead of following that, all the way into the recoil. You recognize it and you're not following it. You stop following it. And um, your reaction may be mental, verbal or physical. okay. So and that so the third thing is is around reacting and you stop that reaction with awareness. you, you, you classified it as bad, you push it away. And uh, that in itself does the, the immediate damage. So, uh, by just l- first of all recognizing through the senses and then seeing it arise and then absolutely stop the reaction, you widen the gap. Here's what he says by widening the gap between action and reaction you gain some distance from your automatic responses and also gain an op- opportunity, this is great, to know your emotions. Mm. Right. I mean, the simple, simple thing, and this is all mindfulness stuff, right? Which is the big byword in our culture now in the West, especially in America, uh, and not always, in my mind, used in in the right way and maybe used for... Uh, for gain rather than for internal inquiry but I love this thing where you know it's uh, look look at what you 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 can gain uh, an awareness of of uh, it's an opportunity to to understand yourself Yes. that's what we need yeah. is that opportunity and that gap just by creating a little gap, between when this stuff gets input to us and we realize it through our sensory uh, perceptions that it is happening and then uh, the, you have the awareness that it's happening and it's, it's arising. So you, you can actually be on top of its arising rather than lost in it. And mm. and then just create the the gap there through the reaction. I think it's a great little methodology. It's a simple little three part thing that uh, we all can use on a day to day. But day-to-day. it
1: still takes work. And yep, that's why the word practice, which is close to the word rehearsal, you know, that no matter how great you are, uh, say as a musician, you know, um, even a classical Indian musician or American musician. European, you cannot maintain your your ability to play the music unless you practice. And I often use this as a correlation to myself when I miss meditations. I missed one yesterday. Um, I just didn't do it. And I didn't do it because I got up in a rather nasty temper and I just had to have coffee instead of meditation. And when I meditated today, I noticed there was a little gap. There was a little moment when I had to catch up Not the right gap, but different gap. Not the right (laughs) gap. Right, right, right. And and just, you know, and funny, I read a funny thing a couple of weeks ago in in the New York Post, great spiritual journal, Mm. and it was about Billy Bush. And Billy Bush um, gave an interview where he said, you know, he was looking for a job, actually. And somebody asked him about, you know, the obvious access Hollywood, Donald Trump thing which the guy was fired from NBC at the highest level on the today show. I think they were even thinking about putting him in, you know, in a much more prominent, and he, they just got rid of him. And he said, well, this time, this year has been quite something because I've been completely, you know, people hate me. He said, but I know what I did. I chuckled along with him about his, um, assault on women and his braggadocio about assaulting women, which is almost as bad. And I kind of went, yeah, 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 about it. He said, but then I couldn't handle it. So I got into intense mindfulness meditation. Really? Yes. And he said, as I've become practiced at this, as I'm learning it, as I'm doing it on a regular basis, I now can see uh, that it wasn't that I didn't mean that with Trump. I was there, I was going along with it. I was au fait with it, as they say. And now I see what a what an idiot I was. Like, just plain idiot. You know, what was I thinking? But if it hadn't happened that I got fired and excoriated by the world, I would never have had to. He said it was agonizing, totally agonizing. Mm. Everybody hated me. Everybody. And they already hate us family you know so it was a bit difficult he was the only popular bush in history and he said that meditation has pulled him out of it even though he still goes through a lot of hell about it he can see not that he doesn't deserve to be hated. he can see that uh, what a limited space he was in Mm. as a human being successful famous good looking doing great everything was going great and then he made that terrible mistake of going, yeah, Donald, yeah, yeah. yeah, And even he, and I believed him, it wasn't some superficial nonsense that he, he was spouting. He said, I'm practicing this thing because it's the only thing that's helping me.
0: Yeah, and look, he would never have done that had that Absolutely. incident hadn't happened. Possibly never. he would never have done that. And that's, right. you know, uh, this is for another podcast, Dave, because we're at the end yeah. of this one, but... The one thing I was going to bring uh bring up is this uh a Zen saying one accident is worth ten thousand meditations one accident is worth ten thousand medi- is that uh, oh i mean that's so true, and that's what happens with many of us many 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 of us some you know and as suffering gets to a certain point where you just have no recourse but to to uh, I'll take an alternative course in your life and do the kinds of things like this guy Billy did that turned turned it around for him and probably turned it around in a much much uh, grander sense in his life than this stupid incident or even his job at NBC yeah. God knows how this is affecting in terms of his karma you know it's a pretty amazing thing uh, well yeah
1: it, it is I mean it proves that you Know every exquisite little moment of our lives, good, bad, or indifferent, is going to affect every moment after yeah, that, right? And that, yeah. and that we and, and the rug, the dirty rug, which I, I it's made such an impression on me. This story, not just because of Mickey's response to it, or or it, it, when when he was talking about this at the time, I remember thinking, as difficult as it is to absorb that, um, attitude that mood. Um, it's like when we used to get high, you know, and, and, or even if we get high now, um, you know, that appreciation for everything comes into play. Suddenly it, you're not, you know, you can, yeah, I guess you can You can go uh, typical of those days. I'll go and see the movie 2001 Kubrick's great psychedelic space movie. And a lot of people took acid and went to see it. I didn't, I just went to see it. And, um, you're glued to that movie and you're talking about that movie and people are glued to virtual reality now and, and and getting these ridiculous machines on your head to look at something that you actually could look at for real and, you know, be in it for real as it were and enjoy it. But we've become so consumerized and so bored and so needing for stimulation all the time. That we need to actually virtually reality. Okay, you say, I'm never going to jump out of an airplane. So let me look at virtual reality. Okay, fine. If that's what you want to do, fine. I think it's better to jump out of the airplane. But we've got to the point where we do not appreciate the very fabric of daily life of our life, of our experience. Because we've become a a consumerist being. Mm. We consume. Animals don't consume. Sadhus don't consume. You know, little Maraji mm. didn't. I mean, the original little Mar- not Maharaji, not Maraji, the other one. He didn't consume anything. You know, they just had the clothes they wore and they sat there and they consumed the universe. You know, <laughs> and and meanwhile, I'm I'm complaining about Netflix every day. I, I say to <laughs> someone else, when are they going to get new films? I hate them. They just put up their. Uh-huh. now ten ninety nine a month and i haven't seen one good thing for six months to right. get rid of it okay i'm gonna save you today <laughs> so you know wait a minute to save from
0: that <laughs> okay well here it is here's a recommendation spike lee's okay. she's got to have it he redid that as a as a 10-part series it's on netflix i have are to, you kidding uh, somebody turned me on to it. it has some of the greatest music and even tells you who, who sang the song it oh. comes up as a card uh, as a as a slate it's and the the uh, the protagonist this the woman in it is just absolutely so relatable and wonderful and wow. uh, it's fantastic there you go okay i've saved you david silver Thank you. i
1: love it i love i love netflix all right it's like when randy newman sang the song mm-hmm. i love la <laughs> yeah, I, <right>. I began <laughs> I, I began to learn to love la which <laughs> was difficult but you know i mean Hey, I was going to read something from Pema Chodron, but it all is in the same. Oh, continuum. listen, we're going to you have
0: know. to do another one. I have a whole thing around Ram Dass's thing about suffering brings you to brings me to God. Another, it was kind of like the rug. What? What do you mean? People go, "Are you out of your mind?" That, that you know, I have a whole wonderful thing. So we have two.
1: We, so what have we been talking about for the past hour?
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> we no. didn't
1: get to any of this. So we got to the Donald Trump accidental Buddhist. Yes, place.
0: yes, and there you go. Anyhow, we're gonna do it again, and I'm uh, I'm I'm super happy that uh, you came on for uh, the mind rolling New Year's show of That's 2018, great. and yep, God, uh, you know, we've been. Uh, I'm I'm really so happy that uh, we're able to continue, and uh, the way in in which you have been a. Uh, an inspiration, Dave, as I've done a lot of these things more recently because I've been on my own, uh, but the inspiration is fantastic from you, and I really oh, appreciate it. Thank you. I mean, the Svoboda
1: thing, it. which you just did, is getting enormous response, I notice, and uh, I'm about to listen to it today, and that alone, if you did nothing else apart from get that guy to… yeah. Elucidate some of the techniques and and some of the, the what's behind the karma, of yeah, addiction, and so yeah. on. That's incredible. Absolutely, That's incredible. I have to
0: say that too. And everybody out there, look for a mind rolling. That's a couple episodes ago, with Robert Svoboda who wrote these incredible books on Agora. Uh, these Agora practitioners from India. He had his, his guru uh, was Vimalananda and was extraordinary being, and Robert is an extraordinary being, and uh it's it's a difficult subject karma and i'm going to be investigating it dave more with all of our uh teacher friends from jack joseph and all of them uh, in the coming Mm -hmm. weeks because uh, i think this is an important uh, aspect of uh, the spiritual path that bears more understanding so thank you so much dave thank you namaste everybody Go yep. to Be Here Happy Now New Network. Year. Happy New Year, and come to, go to BeHereNowNetwork.com dot com and slash Mind Rolling, and you'll also all the stuff we're talking about today and recommendations, uh, all the way to the War on Drugs. Uh, that song we played at the beginning, and everything else, you'll be linked to, and um, we shall see you next week.
1: Au revoir. Au revoir.